Gentlemen, welcome to the Insiders Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host, the most on the West Coast, California Imperial. It's a joy to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy, right here, right now, I get to speak to a deathmatch Hall of Famer right here. I have the honor of introducing my guest. He is former CCW Ironman and Tag Team Champion, and of course, former King of the Deathmatch, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mr. Insanity, the one and only Toby Klein. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. <laughs> That's good, my friend. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show with me here today. And Toby, the first question usually uh, I give everyone on the show here is, when you were a young man, before you got in the business, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? Well, I grew up, uh, I'll show my age a little here. Yeah, I just turned uh, 44 this past summer. I started watching wrestling probably by the time I was five years old. And uh, the very first wrestling match I ever attended in person was Jesse the Body Ventura versus Hulk Hogan. (laughs) And so after I seen uh, Hulk Hogan, I became a Hulkamaniac. Awesome, awesome. It seems to be quite prevalent with a lot of people that it's it's always it's always Hogan that's the one that got them the, the bug bite to you at a young age there. And yeah, that, that's quite some time ago, Toby. So uh, at some point in time, you must have come across uh, a more harder style of wrestling, deathmatch or hardcore wrestling. Uh, when was the first time that that, you know, style of wrestling, uh, you know, came into your life? Well, Early on, I attended a, uh, I guess it was an independent show. It was, uh, I believe, Bruiser Brody versus Tito Santana. And uh, Bruiser Brody just beat him all over the building. And uh, I really fell for the the Bruiser, Bra- Bru- Bruiser Brody style. I thought he had a cool gimmick and, and just how he just did a more of a hardcore style and I really liked seeing him. So Bruiser Brody was my first hardcore influence. Right. That's really cool. That's, that's cause you know, a lot of the guys that I have in the show, they'll say something like, Oh, you know, they saw ECW or maybe somebody saw, you know, um, some, some stuff from Japan and all that. So that's really interesting. Cause you know, Brody was kind of a really early influence for that style of wrestling um, uh, that, that, you know, kind of, became a little bit more popular in the 90s. Um, so, uh, you know, as you grow up and become more of a, uh, you know, you're, you're a young man, uh, when do you decide to yourself, you've got to figure out a way to get into the wrestling business? And, and how did you go about getting trained by Kid Collins? You did your homework. You know Kid Collins? I do. Uh, he was an extra for WWF through the 80s as uh, Mike Collins was the name they usually had him work under but um yeah he was based out of at the time shelby ohio a gym and that was my hometown and i had come home from college one weekend and uh, i was only at college for maybe two months and i i was going to the university of toledo and i had come home on the weekend back to shelby and i walked through the middle of town and i looked in the window and there's a wrestling uh, ring being put together. They had just moved to Shelby. And so I went in and asked them boxing, wrestling, what are you guys doing here? And they said, wrestling. And, and uh, they said, there'll be free tryouts for you. And so I tried out and I quit college the next week and moved back home. And my wrestling career was off and running, actually not off and running. I'd say um, after about five or six months of training, I just wasn't catching on. And uh, one of the, he was actually a referee. Um, He looked at me and he said, if you're wasting our time or you're wasting your own time, just get out of here. If you're not going to take this seriously. And so when the referee told me that it like changed from that point on, 
I started taking it much more serious. And it seemed like I learned fairly quickly after that happened. So I would say by the nine month mark, I had a match nine, nine months after I started training. Right. That's really interesting. I like that. Um, cool. Uh, and my research tells me, and, and it could be wrong because sometimes the internet's incorrect, but you debuted in 1997 or 1998? February of 1997 against Bodacious. Right. And I always love to ask people, uh, you know, how did the first one go? It went good. I bought some red hair dye to dye my hair red, and I wanted to be Mister Insanity right out of the get right out of the get go. And the red hair dye dyed my hair pink, so I had pink hair for my first match. <laughs> Excellent, and and uh, I guess uh, that leads me to my next question: you know, What led you to choosing the name Mister Insanity? I always thought I was a little bit uh, of a crazy character in school and always trying to be like the class clown when I was in school. And uh, I just, I thought if I'm going to do this wrestling thing, I'm going to be a, a, a different kind of character and be kind of crazy, kind of zany. And uh, I already had the character picked out before I knew how I was going to act. And uh, my trainer, Kid Collins, had told me, well, it doesn't because I told him my idea for a character and he said, well, we'll see. We'll see once you get trained and get you on a show. We'll see. And then after I had trained, he said, yeah, you're right. You're Mr. Insanity. So I, I fit the gimmick after I got trained and I was ready. <laughs> really, really cool. Uh, so I know it's very early in your career. Uh, you worked with Madman Pondo in July and August of 1999. But also, uh, from my research, your last in-ring performance to date was against Pondo for A2W on October 15th, I believe. Um, I'll ask you about your in-ring future later, but uh, what's, it, what's it like been working with uh, Madman Pondo for all these years? Uh, yeah, he's, he's probably one of the guys I've worked um, globally the most places. I've worked him in Tokyo, Japan, and... Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and West Virginia, and Delaware on the East Coast for CZW. So our feud has taken us from IWA Mid-South to CZW to BJW, Big Japan Pro Wrestling. So yeah, all over the U.S. and all over the world, really, me and Pondo have wrestled each other. And um, I love him, but I don't mind punching him. <laughs> Excellent stuff. And another interesting I found was that... Uh, uh, you made your IWA Mid-South debut, if my research is once again correct, on October 21st, 2000, against Brain Damage on their King of the Deathmatch show. You're not a part of the tournament, though, but uh, how did you find your first experience there at Mid-South? We were late getting there. We had taken a flight from somewhere. Uh, we flew in maybe to Cincinnati, I want to say. I forget which airport we flew into, but my luggage was missing, my wrestling gear. So we went to uh, the wrestling show for Ian, and I didn't have my gear, and we arrived late because of our flight. So he still, he said, uh, you stay just in town tonight, and I'll use you on night two. So we, we didn't get to be in the tournament like originally planned, but he put us on night two in a non- death match tournament match uh and i think it was a death match that brain damage and i think it was a death match but yeah it was the non-tournament match right and uh would you say that you know for your debut there that you two uh made a good impression i think so i think we did i think brain damage won that match with a power bomb right very cool and uh i, I noticed another damage Brain damage was something else. I was he. I wish he was still around to be able to tell you and talk to you guys himself. I, I really wish he was. He was something else. He lived about ten minutes from me. Um, we we rode to many many shows together over the years. We uh, went wrestled for the same promotions. Uh, I trained him, and he was he was something else. He was such a nice guy. Oh, thanks for sharing that. And uh, may he rest in peace. Um, 
uh, another important, I guess, moment, I, I would say, in your career, um, 31st of August, 2002. I'm talking about being at Racks Bar and Billiards in Dover, Delaware, for the first tournament of death, uh, where you worked with Nick Gage in a barbed wire boards and wooden strips with nails match. Uh, for you, uh, how important of a show do you think this is to the history of, of deathmatch wrestling, considering uh, the fame of Tournament of Death? And, and tell me your memories of that night. We were kind of the outsiders. Um, Necro Butcher, Homeless Jimmy, and myself. I think we were the outsiders. I know Homeless Jimmy. I don't know if we rode with Necro to that show. Sometimes we would pick Necro up and go to CZW, but I think that particular show, it was homeless Jimmy and myself that traveled together. But yeah, we were the outside crew. Um, Mike Burns of Smart Mark Video actually got us, recommended us to that promotion. So I can thank Mike Burns for getting me out there. But yeah, I always throw that out as a trivia question to Deathmatch fans is, who was Nick Gage's first opponent at Tournament of Death ever? And it was me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, it, was a, it was a good match. Uh, that was the first time I had ever wrestled Nick Gage, and I thought it was a good match. Uh, that's cool. Um, you know, uh, on that day, you, you, uh, would you even think to, you know, that this tournament's going to go for 20 years? Did uh, was anyone thinking that this is like kind of a, a big deal, this tournament? It did feel special. It really did. It felt like they had a good group of guys there, Wife Beater and Nick Gage and Mondo, um, Nate Hatred, Justice Payne. It seemed like the crew that they had there were a good solid group of guys. And Zandig was, of course, there. It seemed, it seemed like they had their stuff together. So, yeah. Uh, we're always hopeful that we're a part of something special when we do it in the moment, you know? So it definitely felt special while we were there doing it. Crowds seemed to enjoy it. And all the wrestlers seemed to put their best effort into it. Next weekend, um, off topic and besides the point, but I don't know if you know this or not, but the next weekend it was uh, Butler, Pennsylvania. I wrestled Maniac Matt Bourne. You remember Matt Bourne? Doink? Yeah. He was a character on this show called, he was trying a new character called the Boogeyman. And he had a long uh, wig that was in his eyes. And he had a camouflage jumpsuit on. And he looked awfully, awfully wild in it. Uh, but he, I don't think he could see very well because of this massive wig in his face. And um, he hung me with an electric cord. He threw me over the top rope during the match and uh, the electric cord was too tight and Sabu was supposed to come out and save me while the attack was going on. And all I remember is I go over the top rope and I'm trying to get the cord and it was so tight. I couldn't get my hands around it because of how tight it was. And I heard Sabu's music and then it was all dark. I woke up, uh, they said I was out for eight minutes. I woke up on the gym floor. When I woke up and looked, opened my eyes and looked around, there were cops and paramedics all around me. And the gym was completely quiet. And uh, they, they, were, they had a stretcher and they were trying to uh, explain to me what happened. And I kept asking them, did I break my neck? I didn't know where I was at. I was looking around. I said, did I break my neck? And they said, no, you got, you got hung. We're going to put you on this stretcher and i looked and i seen kids crying in the audience and i said no i gotta stand up and walk to the back there's kids so they stood me up and i walked to the back and the crowd cheered when i stood up but uh when i got in the locker room i looked in the mirror and i was able to wipe blood out of my eyes and it was on my fingers from the blood vessels or whatever micro hemorrhaging they called it and uh, i had a scar around my neck for many months a red line all the way around my neck and my face was a different shade, a different color. And uh, I guess it was pretty close to doing me in. So I always call that the night of the boogeyman. It was about a week after the tournament of death. One of the most intense stories I think I've ever had on this show. And I've had Matt 150 guests. 
Matt Bourne told me, he said, you should have grabbed the cord, kid. <laughs> yeah, I should have. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Good advice from the guy on the other end of the cord, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, it, some general stuff about deathmatch tournaments, because it, it they're, they're, it's a kind of a different day than the usual. Uh, is there an atmosphere in the air that is different from the usual? And what do you do to mentally and physically prepare for a day like that? Uh, well, most of the time it was long travel, whether we were flying in or driving for a long distance. Usually had shows the day before. Usually we were tired grumpy sore usually uh always ended up being in the same situation going into those matches because they were awfully far distance um i really don't i really didn't have any certain routine or any certain stretching and stuff like that back in the day i would maybe smoke weed or something to relax beforehand um i don't know there wasn't really any certain routine or any kind of ritual or anything. Usually I was just very tired from driving for hours and hours or from flying in to wherever the tournament was. Uh, fair enough. Um, everyone's different in that way. Uh, but uh, how do you, after the, after the fact, how do you personally recover after uh, such an adrenaline fueled day uh, where you were more likely to have a few aches and pains? Is, is there anything that you do after something as crazy as a day like this for many years for a good 12 years and it was during the majority of my deathmatch career i would heavily self-medicate i would uh, abuse prescription pain medications or uh, or alcohol or i would get pretty wasted after the after the events that was pretty standard that i would uh, i would self-medicate and use whatever whatever people would offer me there was always people partying and doing stuff so i would always be a part of that right i would usually i would usually do too much i didn't know when to stop i wasn't very good at it so i would i would always abuse it and and get uh whether it was ready to pass out or puke or want to fight someone i was always staying far past when I should have stayed and taken too many and I was always on the bad end of things. Right. So I guess, would you say a lot of the time during these days, uh, there are a lot of after parties after these shows? We would make them. Yeah. If there wasn't, we would definitely make them. Yeah. <laughs> the crew of guys that we, that I traveled with, we would usually make our own party if not. Right. Fair enough. I, I would probably do the same. Um, King of the Deathmatch 2003 from the IWA Arena in Clarksville, Indiana, is the next one I wanted to ask you about. Uh, there's an infamous VCR incident uh, when you worked with uh, Necro Butcher. Uh, a fan of my show, uh, Christian D'Amico, asks, uh, did you intend to hit Necro that way with the VCR? Was he okay, and did you feel bad about it? I don't know. It just sort of, it was one of those things. I was in the heat of the moment. I looked and there's a VCR lane in the ring and he'd taken some pretty serious shots at me in that match and got me. My adrenaline was pumping. It was more of a fight than a match. And uh, it just, it seemed to go well at the moment. I seen it, I threw it. And uh, the only thing we really had was a finish in mind for that match we had our we had our finish in mind um but up to that point from getting from point a to the end it was on us and whatever we wanted to do and it was just on the fly really and i seen that there was a weapon fans bring the weapons match so we had all kinds of interesting weapons to choose from and uh, i seen it i just grabbed it i threw it Looking back, it was pretty serious shot I gave him. I didn't, uh, in the moment, I didn't realize, but uh, I tried to uh, hit him as best as I could with it. I didn't try to hit him dangerously with it, but <laughs> <laughs> he said that hurt. 
<laughs> now, I could tell when you threw it that you probably didn't intend for it to turn on its side. It just so happened to the, the weight of the VCR must have turned it onto its side as it hit him in the head. I just wanted so. to get the yell. I remember yelling and I remember raising it so high in the air and, and like I was trying to be dramatic with it and yell and make it look like I was ah, like that. But the actual impact, I was hoping it wasn't too bad, but looking back at it, it caught him pretty good. <laughs> uh, excellent stuff. And I want to ask you another general kind of question about, um, I guess, your place in the uh, deathmatch scene at the time. Do you think there was a match uh, from your early days that might have been more of like a breakout moment for you where you started to get uh, noticed by a lot of people? I think the first time at CZW uh, was at ECW Arena. I don't remember what we did first, if we did Tournament of Death first or if we went to the arena. Do you have the dates of the arena between me and Necro against uh, Wife Beater and Mondo? Let's have a look. Is that a CZW ECW Arena show? And I know it was in 2002, but I don't know if it was before or after Tournament of Death. Because that match, I think, really got got us. Right. Uh, let's have a look here. 14th of the 9th, 2002. Yourself and, um, uh, sorry, uh, Necro against Mondo and Wife Beater. Now, a barbed wire board and now stripped death match. Uh, 14th. Of the what 9th. was the date on that one? 14th of uh, September and oh wow so I went and did the tournament of death first then I went and got hung by Matt Bourne the weekend after that then the weekend after I got hung I went to uh, CZW <laughs> at least W Arena I don't it was all a blur it was all a blur <laughs> I don't remember the time frame on that <laughs> right so the tournament of death was only Roughly two weeks before that match with Wife Beater and Mondo. Yeah. I don't know. I guess there was a lot of matches in that time period that probably got me noticed. I was I was doing my thing then, you know. That was I considered myself one of the main uh deathmatch guys at that point. So I mean I was I was wrestling whoever they fed to me at that point. Right, cool. And um I guess at the time, uh... come on over for a second. I'm gonna, can I introduce you to somebody? Of course. This is uh, this is my son JC. He's named after JC Bailey. So this is Joseph Carl Klein. How you going, Joseph? Nice to meet you. My name's Carl as well. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Do you remember uh, seeing matches of JC Bailey? He's pretty crazy, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Are you as crazy <laughs> as he is? <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Uh, very nice to meet you, JC. So uh, um, I'm talking to your dad here. And, and Toby, uh, another question I had. Uh, you form an infamous team with Necro known as the Tough Crazy Bastards. Uh, you spent a lot of time teaming with him in Mid-South and CZW. Uh, what are your fondest and wildest memories of these days with Necro? The trip from... Uh... We did a match for Hellaware Championship Wrestling in that time period, maybe 2005. We went to uh, Delaware and wrestled. I don't know if I wrestled him. I forget who I wrestled, but it was Deranged and Necro and myself. So probably the road stories, probably traveling with them guys. Uh, especially with traveling with Necro during that time period, we would have go all over. We'd be me and Necro would be after the match with uh, um, 2003 when me and Necro fought at uh, at IWA Mid South. We started doing against each other everywhere. We would be in Detroit one weekend and CZW the next, and I mean we we would go all over me and him. Um, we would either team or fight each other through for a while, for a few years. But I think the road stories, I think traveling with him was some of the 
some of the memories that I have the most. Any uh, particular moments in time that, uh, you know, or evenings that you, you can recall that stand out? Yeah, the, the Hellaware Championship Wrestling. Uh, now, if I say this, you have to maybe plug your ears at some point. All right. I'm telling my son that he may have to plug his ears to this part. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Necro was in the bed of a truck. We had a, it was basically a two seater truck. I guess we could fit three people because we had to in the front seat, but um, he was in the bed of the truck with the elements, with the night air. And he had a bottle of, uh, of, let me think of what he had. Maker's Mark Bourbon, I think was the name of it. Yeah. He had it tucked up underneath his arm and his head was all wrapped because he had bled and his head was, had gauze, really big gauze on his head. And he was laying in the bed of the truck. He had an eight ball in his front pocket and, um, we had been partying in Delaware and we had to get back to Ohio, which is a long drive. So me and deranged were in the front seat of the vehicle. And as we're approaching a bridge, I think we were going into Maryland and there was a bridge and it looked like there was a bunch of flashing lights, the closer we got. And I said, Oh no, there's been an accident. And deranged as we got closer deranged is like, no, that's a, a road uh, roadside sobriety checkpoint. You might want to turn around. And I said, if I turn around now, they're going to follow me because they obviously can see me. They're flagging for us to go over in these lanes. So we did. And then they noticed the state trooper noticed Necro lying in the bed of the truck. And uh, we would have all gone to jail had they searched the vehicle or searched all of us. I remember I was talking very fast to the officer, explaining that we were pro wrestlers and that we were just trying to get home. And then he's seen uh, Necro in the bed of the truck and he says, he can't be in here. You got to get him in the front of the truck. That's illegal. So Necro holding his bourbon got out of the bed of the truck and got into the front and the cop was looking at his head, put a flashlight in his face. And he's like, what happened to you? Necro said, it's a long story, man. And then <laughs> the cop let us keep going. We didn't have to do a check or nothing, a sobriety check. And we just kept right on driving. And uh, we were quiet for some time after that. And then I think it was deranged. He said, did that really just happen? And I was like, yeah, we made it though. We're, we're, we're on the road still. <laughs> I love stories like that. That's so cool. It, it might, it might not, it might just be like another night in your life, but to me, like a little story like that really, it, it makes my day. Uh, so thank you for sharing. Um, it's time for me to talk about uh, the 19th of November, 2005. You win the IWA Mid-South King of the Death Match. And it's, it's a crazy two days for you. Uh, and I'm just going to lay this out there for everyone uh, at home who will be watching this. Uh, day one is a fans bring the weapons match with uh, Dysfunction and Danny Havoc. Uh, in the quarterfinals, you get Corporal Robinson in a barbed wire light tube ropes match. The semis with deranged in another fans bring the weapons. And in the final... You defeat two absolute legends, Necro and JC Bailey, in a 200 light tubes match. Please tell me your memories of these wild couple of days. That was kind of a who's who of deathmatch wrestlers in those two days, wasn't it? Yeah. So in 2004, I had went to the finals and lost to court. And then in 2005, I won. And then in 2006, I went to the finals again and lost to, uh, to uh, Mitch Page. I think that was his name. Mean Mitch Page. So, yeah, so for three years in a row, I was in the finals. And I think I was the only one to go to the finals three years in a row at that point. I'm sure there's been many that have done it now. But, but yeah, that, that particular weekend, that was probably the – the top that I had, uh, as far as the deathmatch success, that I believe that was my first deathmatch championship I won, the first tournament I won. Um, but yeah, against those guys, I felt honored that I was able to to have have that opportunity. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of like a, a crowning achievement uh, in that that. that kind of portion of your career and there's there's another portion of your career which i'm really excited to learn about uh and and it, it happens just before 
uh, this show where you, where you win the King of the Death match. And uh, it starts around August 2005, uh, your first Japanese tour for Big Japan. You're over there with your homies, Masada, Too Tough Tony, and Madman Pondo. You also go back in 2006. Uh, how was this experience? And, and please, just tell me if you have any stories of uh, your time in Japan. I feel like we were there for about two months. I feel like it was 60 days maybe the first time and 45 days the second time. Yeah. Um, it was a good experience. I really – I would have went a third time. I was booked for a third time, but I had got a, a, a shoot job at FedEx as a driver for FedEx. And so I couldn't get the time off from work. And uh, that ended up costing me. I couldn't ever go back again. They never, they never called again after I turned them down the third time. So sort of wish I would have played it out to see where that would have went had I kept going. Maybe I would have went many, 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 many times had I, had I kept doing that, you know. Uh, I liked everyone over there. I got along. I got along with everybody. Uh, Masada was my tag team partner quite a bit on that 2005. That was the first time I'd ever met Masada. And he was, he was my tag team partner over there. That first time I went, I thought we had a similar look. I thought we had a good look as a tag team. I think we should have expanded and went over, came back to the States and done it because our look was similar. We both had the braided beard and, and we both had similar ring gear and uh, we were the same size roughly. So I think we should have ran with that, but it wasn't meant to be. Right. But yeah, it's, it's kind of cool, uh, you know, at this point, because a, a lot of guys that were into this style, obviously uh, I've had a few guys on the show and it's a bit of a dream for them to, to finally go over to Japan and, and work at Corgan Hall. Absolutely. Go to Hall. Yeah. Um, how would you compare, you know, the American deathmatch style to the Japanese deathmatch style? Well, they want it more crazy over there because I know I was bleeding pretty good after several matches and Pondo told me, he said, uh, uh, they want more blood. And I'm like, more blood? I'm, my back's bleeding, my, my chest is bleeding, my head is bleeding, my shoulders are bleeding. Where do you want more blood from? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they wanted more, 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 more over there. <laughs> awesome stuff. Um, uh, the next thing I want to bring up, 30th of July, 2005, from the Blue Diamond Park in uh, Newcastle, Delaware. Uh, the quarterfinal of Tournament of Death 4. Uh, you hit Madman Pondo with an insanity, insanity driver onto a board of pencils. Uh, and Pondo gets stabbed in his biceps by one of the pencils and several more in his butt um <laughs> tell me a little bit about this moment that was another fans bring the weapons match if i'm not mistaken right. but uh yeah he uh he spotted that and he claimed it for our match i think there was like a uh area back in the back where they had all the fans weapons laid out and the wrestlers had dibs on like okay which ones do we want for our match and Pondo wanted that in our match. <laughs> he made the choice on that one. <laughs> Very good. I was, uh, <laughs> I was just, uh, I was in, involved in that, but I was just along for the ride, you know? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, you also lose to uh, John Zandig in the semifinals in a light tube log cabin match. How did you find working with John? it was good stuff i he was intense he was strong i know he uh he press slammed me i think he press slammed me off the top rope i think we were standing on the top rope and he had press slammed me so i mean for standing on something uh with no balance like that with the ropes moving the way they do and he was still able to push me up above his head and i was a good 265 270 then i was pretty good size so that was pretty impressive. The guy was strong and he was intense. Very cool. I, um, I, always, I always got along good with him. I didn't ever have a problem with him. That's cool to hear. Um, and, and usually when I do my research for the show, uh, Toby, I, I, I look to see for interesting opponents that you had over the years. And uh, this guy's name popped up and it always stands out to me. You worked with him on the 16th of September, 2006. 
at the Masters of Pain there uh, for IWA East Coast. Uh, no ropes, barbed wire, pit of lobsters match. Uh, Jun Kasai at the South Charleston Civic Center. Um, I don't think there? I don't think I worked Jun Kasai when I was in Japan. Right. I worked uh, Tony and Pondo and uh, Shadow WX, Abdullah Kobayashi, um, Sakimoto, uh, Masada. I don't think I got to work with June Kasai while I was in Japan, so I was really looking forward to that one. And uh, I just, I thought there's got to be a little comedy in here because I wasn't scared of falling in a pit of lobsters. That didn't intimidate me at all. So I thought I had to make uh, some comedy spots with it. Have you seen that match? Did you I watch the match? Uh, I tried to find oh. it, but I couldn't find it. Watch that match. At one point, uh, I throw him into the pit of lobsters, and one of the lobsters bit him. So I was trying to congratulate the lobster, and I wanted to shake its hand. And then it snatched me by the hand. So I was dancing around in the ring with the lobster attached to my hand. And then after he had suplexed me on a lobster and crushed it, I was trying to give it mouth to mouth. I was giving it chest compressions and I was trying to blow in its little mouth, trying to bring it back to life. So I was trying to add a little bit of a comedy to that match and it seemed to go over well. So <laughs> I tried to work with what I had. A lot of times you look at these weapons and you're like, what's the most crazy thing I can do? And a lot of times I looked at the weapons and thought, what's the funniest thing I can do with them? Let's bring a little bit of a comedy to it. You know, what would the, what would the three stooges do if they were in this match? <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Uh, <laughs> um, another uh, question that was sent my way from a, a good fan, uh, Christian D'Amico. Uh, he talks about, uh, there's, there's a, um, uh, some stuff uh, on Nick Mondo's The Trade uh, documentary where Nick mentions that uh, carpet strips are his least favorite and uh, most painful gimmick to use. Um, you know, what would you say is your least favorite uh, weapon to implement in a death match? Probably the glass. Because I, uh, in fact, 12 years after a glass match, I had this knot on my back. And it became like a golf ball size. And then overnight, it became like a softball size. It's huge bump on my back. You could see it through my shirts. And uh, I went and finally had a doctor look at it. And he sliced it open. And he said, there's something in there. And he's like, now there's like an infection in your back. We have to get, we have to cut you open. And so I had to have my back cut open and they removed what appeared to be a little tiny piece of debris. And he was guessing it was a little piece of glass, a shrapnel or something, but I'm guessing it was glass because uh, I did a match one time against Corporal Robinson in Detroit and he gave me the boot camp off the apron onto a table and I wasn't wearing a shirt and those pieces of glass were stuck in me. I remember I sat up and looked and it was bad. I lost a lot of blood. I couldn't believe there's a picture somewhere floating around where you can see my whole back is, is blood and it cut me bad. Well, I think a piece of glass was in my back from then all the way up until 2019, almost 13 years. And, uh, it finally had to have surgery on my back because of it. So if I could take glass out of the matches, I would have personally, I wouldn't have used the glass. Right, fair enough, because I always found that there's, there is a lot of glass, there's a lot of light tubes, and I've always found that something that I, I like to bring up with the deathmatch guys is uh, bed sheets. It must be frustrating uh, when it comes to having bed sheets at home and all that, or even just in the hotel room, wherever you're staying, and having, you know... It's a murder scene sometimes. <laughs> you must ruin quite a few, quite a few bed sheets. Uh, <laughs> looks like a murder. It looks like somebody got murdered. <laughs> Imagine the, the cleaning crew when they come through the hotel after the deathmatch wrestlers stay and they look in the room after we leave. <laughs> yeah, looks like an absolute crime scene. Uh, so over the years, you've worked for John Zandig, you've worked for Ian Rotten, DJ Hyde, uh, Pondo on the East Coast there. 
Um, what's your opinion of, of, of all these guys and working for them? You know, how are they all as promoters? I've heard people talk crazy talk about all the promoters. I know that I always was paid what was agreed upon. I always, uh, I always got paid what we had talked about, what we had agreed upon, what was agreed upon. I always wrestled who I was supposed to wrestle and always uh, paid the amount that was told to me ahead of time. So I, I never carried any grudges towards any promoters or felt like I was stiffed by any of them. I always had uh, what I expected, you know. Um, maybe some spot shows here, you know, little shows, little promotions I had issues with. Maybe someone tried to short my pay or something, but uh, none of the big promoters ever did. None of those, none of the tournaments of death ever paid me any less. None of the king of the death matches. I always got what I was supposed to get. Always uh, walked away feeling like it was worth the trip and everything that I expected. Okay, well, that's cool to hear. Um, and after 2011, uh, you seem to pull a, back a bit on the frequency of your bookings. That's just from my research. I might be wrong. The internet might be wrong. But uh, at that point in time, was there a concerted effort to prolong your time in the business by not uh, having uh, crazy you know, matches every single week uh, to kind of prolong the time as everybody has a bookie? No, I became really unreliable. In 2010, I uh, I was fired from my my shoot job. I had worked for FedEx for five years as a delivery driver, and so I would do these deathmatch tournaments and then come home and and de deliver uh, FedEx. And um, I had crashed one of their trucks high on opiate pain pills. I crashed a FedEx truck, and so they fired me. And um, I, I became unreliable. I think there were times that I asked for more money or um, didn't show on time. And so I think there were times I probably didn't show at all. So my wrestling career probably was, I self-sabotaged. I was, uh, I was creating issues that didn't, that, I mean, it was my fault. So late 2012, October, 2012 brain damage died. And by that point, I was probably at the bottom, rock bottom of my addiction. I was uh, spiraling down quick, quickly. I would have probably been the next to die had I not got sober then. Um, so, yeah, I think once I got sober, February 4th, 2013, uh, since that day, no pain pills, no Tylenol, no cold medicine, no Advil, no alcohol, no flu shots. No medicine over the counter, no no marijuana, nothing since that day. So I think if not, I would have died had I not changed the way I was living. And uh, in the process, I walked away from wrestling, and it was several months before I finally took another booking. It was very late in 2013 before I wrestled again, and uh, I was just very, I I was very. Um, I, I picked and choose what I did. And if I didn't think I should do something, I didn't do it. And, and I was, I was very safe after that point, as far as how I did things and what I did, but I had to, because for me, my self-destructive way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been here today had I, had I done, had I done it differently, you know? Wow. Thanks for sharing that with me. I had to do it the way I did it or I would, or I would have died. Right. Um, did you did you go cold turkey or was this just like you slowly but surely weaned yourself off this kind of stuff? I went to a doctor and did medically assisted treatment and it's a uh, Suboxone was what I was on for a year. And so once I weaned off of the Suboxone, then it was nothing. But yeah, I'm an advocate now. I'm a drug and alcohol counselor now in my regular job. Um, and I'm an advocate for medically assisted treatment because I know how I did it and it worked for me. So if someone does it serious and takes it serious, they can get sober that way. And so I always, I'm an advocate for it. I always help, uh, direct people that way, if that's the way they want to go. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, 
I think uh, medically assisted treatment saved my life. And then also I did counseling. And after two years of seeing a counselor for drug and alcohol addiction, uh, the counselor said, you maybe want to consider becoming a counselor now because you seem to really, uh, you seem invested in this and you seem like it's the direction you're going. And so I did, I went to school for it and I ended up becoming a counselor. And uh, it just played out the way it was supposed to play out. I think I wouldn't change anything if I had to go back, maybe some of the criminal activity I was a part of. But uh, I mean, other than that, I think things played out the way it did because it became a purpose. And I lived a story and I was able to try to help others because of it. That is very awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Because, uh, you know, anytime somebody shares something like that, it's always possible that it's going to help someone if they're going through that problem as well. Um, so I appreciate it. Um, I've only got a, a few more questions here, Toby. Uh, and I, again, I thank you so much for your time. I know that there's so much more that we, we could have uh, talked about, but uh, you know, it would be cool if one day I could get you back on for uh, maybe a, you know, a second interview. But uh, anyway, uh, you were gathering of the Juggalos and Bloody Mania a few times. Uh, how do you like, or how did you like working for the Insane Clown Posse? And do you have any uh, stories of working for JCW? I, yeah, I always felt like it was a, I think 2001 or two in Chicago, gathering of the Juggalos 2000, I think it was 2001. I did one, two, three, four, and five maybe six i did five or six years straight and then uh took a break for a while and then did maybe 2009 or 2010 for him again and then a very long break and then recently did uh 2021 right but yeah cool. i didn't other other than uh, scaring one of the kids one of the clowns had uh, I think it was Violent J. His son was, yeah, Violent J. His son walked uh, Corporal Robinson to the ring, and I forget exactly how that went. Two thousand ten, maybe. Yeah, but I, I maybe scared the kid a little bit. I came at him or charged at him or something, and I think I I made him upset when I did that, but. It's all foggy. I don't remember the whole situation. I remember I scared the, scared the child. <laughs> it's a great quote. <laughs> but yeah, I thought those the fans were those those fans are something else. The Juggalo fans are something else. They uh, they have their gimmick. They ran with it and they made money at it and they have a lot of followers. So, I mean, they found their they found their gimmick, and there was a lot of people that uh, enjoy it. So. Did you wrestle there during the days where the, the fans would could consistently throw the bottles of Fago into the ring while they're trying to wrestle? I think there was other things thrown too, batteries and <laughs> coins. I think I remember things hitting me that were more serious than Fago bottles. <laughs> awesome stuff. Uh, another hey, question. That means you're doing your job. If people are throwing stuff at you, you're doing your job. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, so uh, one thing I did want to bring up was, uh, you know, 2009, you, you did do the uh, Tournament of Death 8 uh, when you worked with Wax. Uh, but then, you know, it, it's it's quite some time until you, you worked uh, a Tournament of Death again. It was uh, Tournament of Death 17 with Matt Tremont, uh, Jeff Cannonball in another Fans Bring the Weapons match. Um, so was that a 10 year, was there a 10 year gap? Was that exactly 10 years? I think, uh, it, uh, so it was 2009 and then the 17 was in 2018. So, um, pretty close, um, to 10 years, but, um, now I like had gone in 2012, I did go out in November of 2012. I wrestled for CZW, but it was non deathmatch tournament. Right. Uh, so was it, you know, cool to get back out there for one of these tournaments, uh, you know, you know, one of the prestigious tournaments after so long away from it? I realized how much more it hurt then. 
<laughs> I was I wasn't numb to everything that time around, so I had to be very careful about what I did. I felt very old. <laughs> Excellent stuff. And uh, as I mentioned right near the beginning of the interview, Toby, uh, there was uh, a match that you had uh, in October of this year against Pondo. I believe it was this year. Get my yes. Yes, we're addicted to wrestling. Right, cool. So, uh, so that's cool to see. Uh, um, so, how did that go? In, and if you could let me and everyone out there that eventually sees this interview know what your future uh, looks like in pro wrestling. Well, my future in pro wrestling will definitely probably be uh, a, a limited role in addicted to wrestling, a promotion that I helped start from the ground. Um, with Deranged and Ian Decay. The three of us have kind of created this new promotion, A2W, Addicted to Wrestling. And that was our debut show in October. And our next show will be January uh, 22nd in uh, Mount Vernon, Ohio, will be show number two. But uh, I think my ring wrestling days are, are limited. I think at this point, I'd like to say I'm done and uh, maybe look at starting a group of wrestlers as sort of the figurehead or a manager type role for a group of wrestlers. I think that might be where I'm headed. Uh, the match with Pondo was, I mean, it was kind of a match. Uh, the hot tags group from uh, um, GCW from Atlantic City area, they came out. Uh, we did a hot, uh, hot wing eating challenge at intermission. And Pondo came to the ring and blinded me with hot sauce. And uh, so medical personnel had to treat me and I missed the match. So he was wrestling a local wrestler in my place. But during the match, I, against doctor's orders, came to the ring and attacked Pondo. And uh, we fought for a moment. But uh, yeah, I had limited action that night. I had been blinded by hot sauce. So... <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I think uh, from here on out, maybe uh, I need to look at uh, backstage running the promotion. And also, if, if I'm going to be an on-air character, maybe, maybe a manager type, um, have a group of guys that I can sort of lead some young guys and sort of show them what's up. Oh, that's cool to hear. Yep. So in my research, I wasn't aware that uh, that a2W was actually uh, something that you've been working on. So uh, best of luck with that. And if, uh, if for anyone out there, if, uh, if there's um, uh, anything that you'd like to plug about the company, please, uh, the floor is yours. Addicted to Wrestling, it's going to be um, Sunday, January 22nd in Mount Vernon, Ohio at the Moose Lodge. That's show number two. Our first show was a success. It was in Bucyrus, Ohio at the fairgrounds. And uh, I think we'll run in the fairgrounds again next year. I think we're going to have a couple shows there. So uh, we're looking to run quite a few shows in 2023. Um, the, the next show, the main event will be Cash Flow from old IWA Mid-South days. Cash Flow is facing, is facing legendary Larry D in the main event. Uh, we have Hoodfoot on the show. Um, on our first show, we had some guys from Detroit. Truth Martini came and did commentary. Um, the DBA from Detroit was there. Josh Crane works for us. Um, name me someone else, Jay. Who else we got? A boy. Wrestlers. Oh, yeah, Randy West. Yeah, Randy West. Um, who else we got? Texas Pondo, mascara. Texas mascara, yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, any uh, social media links and all that, I will put in the description on YouTube when this interview goes out, so people can find uh, A2W. Um, so the last question I had before our final segment, where I find out about your favorite things, Toby, is uh, how was your Deathmatch Hall of Fame induction for you? Uh, and um, yeah. It must have been a pretty cool little moment there that you had. That was. I was happy to be a part of that. That was the first uh, time out to Atlantic City for me. Of all the traveling, I had never been to Atlantic City before. So 
that was pretty neat they treated me pretty good i really appreciated that um to be in the gcw hall of fame and never have wrestled for gcw i like that that was a, that was a bonus <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool um well awesome toby uh, again thank you so much for your time and and it's time to get to the final segment here on the show uh the first question here is who's your favorite professional wrestler of all time before i became a wrestler hawk yeah. hogan Very after cool. i became a wrestler william regal nice uh do you have a favorite opponent that you had over the years man i would say there's different styles of wrestling and different opponents um brain damage obviously has a close obviously brain damage would be one of them um pondo obviously one of them necro i don't know it's hard to narrow down to just one it really is that's okay no problem you named some pretty pretty good names there uh the last one about wrestling in this uh segment uh if there's one match you look back on that you be your favorite one that you ever performed in what would you pinpoint that as I guess for being at Corrigan Hall for the first time, me and Masada versus Pondo and Tony. Again, just like a favorite opponent, that's hard. Um, at the Canton Civic Center in 2005, I wrestled Abdul the Butcher. So that was a big moment for me because I had grown up watching him and Bruiser Brody and, and that was uh, a really surreal moment for me uh i wrestled in cleveland one time for a promoter that used to run cleveland jt lightning he had the belt on me i was the champ for him and uh, my opponent it was a three-way match it was uh, myself versus christopher daniels and jerry lynn <laughs> three-way and uh not a death match that was that was a, a fast paced match. And um, I had to really that tested my ability as a wrestler. So me and Necro wrestled, me and Necro wrestled Chris Hero and uh, Cesaro one time. That was, uh, and then me and Necro wrestled uh, Loki and Homicide one time. So it's so hard to place just one there's so many different matches that covered so many different areas of deathmatch regular wrestling just i mean i i can't do it i wouldn't be able to pinpoint just one that's okay so that one's always a difficult question on the show uh we're getting away from wrestling now toby do you have a favorite book I don't know about that one. Nothing's popping out as a favorite. I've read throughout my life. I've read different books, whether I was forced to read them or read them on my own free will. But yeah, I, I don't really have a favorite book. No, no problem. That's okay. Uh, do you have a favorite TV show of all time? I like these, uh, these, I always look forward to the new wrestling shows that are on like the documentaries, like, uh, the dark side of the ring or the tales from the territories. I like watching stuff like that. Being that I'm a drug and alcohol counselor, I like watching the TV show intervention. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Some good choices there. Uh, do you have a favorite film? I can't, I can't, I, let me go back to the book thing. Oh, I'm, sure. Mr. Insanity. I'm Mr. Insanity. I, don't, I can't read. So <laughs> if it's a picture book, I can point it to pictures. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite film of all time, Toby? 
I know they're tough ones. Yeah. Lamberto Baba's Demons. Very nice. Uh, favorite musical artist or band? <sighs> For a long time, it was Pink Floyd. But it's been a really long time since I've listened to Pink Floyd. I listened to a lot of Johnny Cash, uh, Tool, or A Perfect Circle, or or Pussifer, one of the groups that Maynard does. Um, I don't know. I listen to a wide variety of music. No, I think you got quite the nice taste there. I'm a big fan of Johnny Cash myself. Um, moving away from the arts now, Toby, uh, do you have a favorite food? Steak or sushi? Very nice. Two very popular answers on the show. Uh, do you have a favorite place to eat on the road? My wife and I go to this place, the next town over from here, it's called The Vault. And... Uh, they have bands come and play and they have good food. If I'm uh, out of town, I mean, I'm not picky. I eat anything and everything. I'm not very picky on food. I'll eat whatever. Whatever everyone else wants to eat, I'll go eat. Very good. Uh, when you're thirsty, do you have a favorite beverage that you go to? Every morning I got to start and it's a bad habit. I should probably stop. But every morning I start with an energy drink. For I used to do the monster energy drinks. Now I'm drinking a bang, bang sweet tea. So there's a there's a bang energy and they make a sweet tea. Um, sometimes coffee, but yeah. Good, good, good choices anyway. I mean, I like an energy drink myself. Uh, the second last one here uh, on the show, Toby, is it, the question is favorite female body part. So you see a good looking lady, you know, where will Toby Klein's eyes go to first? My son covered his ears. <laughs> well, I don't know if she can hear me or not. She's in the next room, but uh, uh, probably my favorite female body part would be is my wife as a whole allowed? Can I say her as a whole? Sure. Probably your mother. Probably your mother. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. That's a, that's a smart answer. Uh, and the last question here, Toby. Uh, your son might need to uh, put his ears, uh, hands over his ears again, but it's favorite curse word. I really don't say them too much anymore. Really? Um, yeah. Other than when one of the dogs messes on the floor, he said, yeah. That makes, <laughs> makes me say a bad word. Um, man. I don't say any of them with enough regularity anymore. I guess... Uh, Man, I don't know how to answer that because it's so few and far between that I drop a, a bad word now. Well, that's there's nothing wrong with that, Toby. I guess so I, guess I don't have a favorite one. I guess I, <laughs> I got to say there is no favorite one now. Not a problem, Toby. Well, that, that brings us to the end of the segment there. And uh, again, I want to thank you so much for your time on the show. My face is hurting from laughing. So uh, you've been a tremendous guest Again, appreciate your time and and I, I just again all the way from over here, the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. You got uh, a big fan of me and, and a whole bunch of my friends as well. So uh, I just always like to let people know that they reached so far to the most isolated city in the world, and they got. Some you know fans. who my you know who my favorite UFC fighter is of all time? Who's that? The Super Samoan. Who's the Super Mark Samoan? Mark. As Mark Hunt, is that his, I didn't know that that was his nickname, but yeah, I just watched a documentary about Mark Hunt. He's, he's from over there near you. Yeah, I think he's over from the East Coast, um, but yes, 
uh, definitely uh, a legend over here. That's for sure. I love him. I love I love every one of his fights. I love hearing his interviews. I I, I think a lot of the guy. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a documentary that I that I just saw about him. That's just an amazing story. What do you know the name? I'll look for it. Uh, I'll seek it out now. Mark Hunt documentary. It's called uh, Mark Hunt: The Fight of His Life. So I'll, I'll send you a message on Messenger after this as well, just so. Uh, you don't forget but uh, again toby thank you so much for your time sir uh and um yeah i just i really have appreciated your time thanks for having me no problem and uh thank all of you out there for joining us here on the insider's edge podcast here on the wcwa network i'm california this is my new friend mr insanity toby klein and we will see you down the road thank you